Hello and welcome to Death for a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name is Tim Clare and this is a show about writing for writers, for readers and for anyone with a morbid fascination with how the story sausage is made. On this show we have three central planks to our writing manifesto. Plank the first to help you write more, plank the second to help you write better and plank the third to help you be a little bit happier as we do those things. Uh, today on the show I'm chatting to Huma Qureshi uh, who is an author of fiction and non-fiction she's got a short story collection out called things we do not tell the people we love and she's also written a memoir called how we met which at the time of recording is i think just i think oh i'm gonna put a link in the show notes um i think it's either out or just about to come out uh in the in the coming week but i'll put a link in the show notes um to both those things so if you would like to check her work out and either pre-order or indeed order it then you can do um hello uh the podcast has been sort of paused for a couple of weeks if you follow me on twitter you may have picked up uh i've been going through a slightly rough time over the last few weeks really bad really bad um and normally i would just talk about it but it's just sort of not something i feel ready to talk about yet or you know maybe maybe ever who knows and i i just wanted to acknowledge that you know i'm okay uh it's going to be something that's going to you know take a while to work through but like i'm fine uh in myself you know i'm moving forward and um my family are all okay and uh not ill or anything so uh just to sort of i i you know because people were sending me really lovely messages of support while sort of not really knowing what was going on and you know to some people i've sort of explained and that kind of thing uh but i yeah i just want to say thank you to everyone who's been nice and thank you for sticking with me uh i you know i don't it's not something i'm gonna i'm i'm you know if you've listened to the podcast a lot you know i'm very very open in general and i to a fault uh, and i talk about what i'm going through but it's just not something i'm quite ready to talk about in specifics yet except to say um just kind of moving on with with life at the moment and uh writing again and just sort of trying to put things back together uh and this episode yeah I, you know it was really nice I, I love the interview episodes i think more than anything else i do i mean I'll, you'd hope i suppose you'd hope so right like that, that, that my favorite thing isn't talking alone that might smack of of egotism but i did really enjoy talking about memoir about homer's background in journalism and why she wanted to write this memoir but also how it intersects with her fiction and uh, we talk a bit about representation and that feeling of being a spokesperson for you know a whole wedge of society in other readers eyes and how she's tried to push against that and how some people just aren't 
you know some people like me generally don't have that weight of expectation over them they're just talking for themselves and they're allowed to do that so yeah we chat about that and how she approached her writing and uh, writing about difficult things as well I've had a sort of few people on talking about non-fiction because it's what I'm I've just written on what I'm writing at the moment I'm really enjoying these chats where we get to talk about writing uh, about parts of our lives be they really lovely parts of their, our lives because it's not you know that you can have sometimes end up talking about non-fiction as if it's only ever about writing about the kind of grimmest and most traumatic things which I think are part of life and clearly a valuable and important topic for non-fiction but also just figuring out how we talk about quite simple and everyday things and parts of our stories as well that don't necessarily have an explosive element to them you know I I always feel that there can be this almost like tyranny of the journalist's need for something to have a story you know something to stick out something to be by definition unusual and so not not representative and 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 we can kind of almost I think especially kind of journalistic training if you're not careful can train you to kind of scorn the everyday and the little moments of life and so I think what we end up talking about and it crosses over with her fiction and non-fiction is just as well as the big things the kind of small things and the little gestures a character might do you know like flicking their hair or something like that and and and, and making that worthy of writing even if we haven't seen it even if we haven't encountered it ourselves that make that the, your testament doesn't have to be what you think other people's idea of importance is it's just seeing your world or your feelings or the lives and feelings of other characters and other people you've encountered in print and making our fiction and non-fictional worlds as rich as possible i think that's what we talk about we talk about some other stuff as well i don't want to i you know i always want to give like an intro that gives you an idea of what you're getting into but i also don't want to kind of like be getting in front of the story and putting my gloss on it because you know you'll we, we talk all about all of that and more and i hope you find it interesting and as i say i've put links in the show notes so with the show notes being just the description box of the of today's podcast that you can go and click if you want to get hold of a copy of how we met or maybe the short story collection things we do not tell the people we love that's it um there's also going to be a there's also a pre-order link to my new book coward why we get anxious and what we can do about it about me being anxious i'm gonna record like a proper ad at some stage and just like pop it into each show just me going hey pre-order my book but if you'd like to grab a copy um i've sort of set up a little partnership with uh, a lovely uh, uh independent bookshop called story smith books they're based in bristol but if you click the link and you pre-order through them then not only will you get a copy of my brand new book when it comes out in the first week of may i think um sent straight to your door not only 
will your purchase be funding a fantastic indie bookstore and helping to keep a bricks and mortar place that celebrates literature and helps authors on the high street but i'm going to be going there and signing all pre-order copies so you'll get a signed copy as well which is exciting in it that's it really oh i mean like i think it's typical for authors to say at this point pre-orders really help um they do they massively help they help the books first week sales because they all count towards that they help create an impression of demand from the public uh but i think mainly it would just make me super happy so that's why i feel oh you get a book that's gonna that's the key selling point right is i it's a book that i put loads of effort in um there's some really nice uh comments that people early readers have made about it i think it's terrific and if you've got any interest in sort of mental health or anxiety um either as a sufferer or you know someone in your life or you're just interested to know what it's like going through it um i think you'll find it really interesting and i've tried to be sort of uh, to include science and lots of talk with different researchers but I hope it's funny as well and entertaining and interesting and it's, it comes from my personal experience of anxiety and severe panic and things like that so anyway I, I'll put a link in the show notes as well if you want to pre-order but if you like the show and you like hearing me talk about stuff I, I think you're going to dig it I think it, it, it's me so if you like me at all um, yeah that's a good idea Tim isn't it let's make this a uh, referendum on my personal worth yeah okay let's do that cool so yeah if you want me to um continue to like myself then please pre-order my book and i'll be delighted right are we through that okay so i'm not gonna delay any longer i hope you enjoyed today's episode um it's nice to be back Um, i hope you're taking care of yourself and i hope your writing's going well as well uh drop me a line uh via my website timclapart.co uk um there's a little button that says uh contact me i'd love to hear from you what you're up to what you think of the first three episodes of this new season whether you've pre-ordered the new book um always fascinating to read and i do read every single message that i get right that's it um here's me chatting to the author uh, huma Qureshi. i hope you enjoy it when what's the first story that you can remember hearing or really caring about wow that's an incredible question I'd like to say I could go back into my childhood and pull out a specific memory of that but I think it was later for me I think it was in my early uh, early teens probably 12 or 13 when I remember and it, it might sound like a bit of a cliche now, but back then as a 12 to 13 year old, I remember reading Catcher in the Rye. And I remember it was the first time I'd ever read anything like that, that was first person and kind of slangy, a little bit slangy. And I remember actually just having this massive crush on Holden Caulfield because he felt so real to me. And I had a, my best friends as well. We were both reading it at the same time. 
And I think it was the first time that beyond that, beyond just I really like this book and I think this guy is really nice in this book, even though actually when you get older and you read it back, you see that actually he's quite troubled. Um, I remember first asking the question and sitting there with my best friend saying, how is it possible that I care so much about someone that's not real? And I distinctly remember sitting there in the lunch hour in our school, it's that big old school, and you could climb into the windows, like they like like window seats built in. And I remember sitting there in a window seat with my copy of Catching the Rye, which was the red penguin one with the script on the front cover. Yeah. Um, and thinking this is not, I care so much, but he, it's not real. How is that possible? How do you do that? And that was the first time that I think a story grabbed me for so, so many reasons. It was the first time like I read a description and really understood New York in a way that suddenly was very like, wow, what is this place? Somewhere I'd never really even given a second thought to or probably never had a chance to. And then that sort of spurred on a little love affair of wanting to see films with New York in and reading lots of books of all that kind of real almost screwball kind of Americanism that that was there and I yeah I just distinctly remember feeling unpicking it and wondering how you make people feel things about someone who's not real and doesn't really exist and that just blew my mind at the time and then that carried on because I think after that I remember then reading Sylvia Path, The Bell Jar, and then getting hooked. And, and those two stories are very similar, aren't I, I don't mean to sort of flatten them down, but I feel like The Bell Jar, I, I, weirdly, I read both of those back to back and and I had the same experience, yeah. And I think I did as well. And I think it is almost a rite of passage that you go through. And I think it's too easy as adults to almost be like, oh, you know, it is a bit of a cliche to fall in love with those books as a teenager but how amazing that they did and how amazing that as a teenager you could read those books that you know they're not billed as teenage books either but um the bell jar was the next one that got me and again I think it was it's very much that I don't think in my I was always a reader always loved reading always loved English it was my like favorite subject and so on but I don't think I'd ever come across like a first person narrative like that before and I wouldn't have known it at the time but reading a book that began with I and made you feel like you were you'd crossed the boundary then and it wasn't just a classic sort of Jane Austen text which I also love by the way um but that was what we would do at school we were doing Jane Austen and the Brontes and so to have something completely different and actually felt really contemporary even though it wasn't because it was about growing up and a passing of time and that very specific age I think that really 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 moved something for me and then after the bell jar I just got hooked on Sylvia Plath and I basically spent my entire school years wanting to read everything that Sylvia Plath had ever done and remember for my 15th birthday my parents got me and at the time it was really hard to get and I think they had to order it from the States or something but they got me like all of her letters and her diaries and like these massive massive thick books and it was just like my everything I couldn't believe it and they were a bit sort of like well this is what she's asked for but my my father was a real reader so he really encouraged me to follow my reading tastes and I just I don't know it really really spoke to me um that you could be so frank and so beautiful about the way that you write about your feelings and I think maybe 
I would never have recognized it back then as being the turning point, but I recognize that now. And I, I remember that. I remember lunch hours on my own with a book in the window seats, um, kind of falling into these, into these words. So, yeah. What do you think it was about Sylvia Plath that spoke to you? And, and maybe it sounds kind of like almost, it, it sounds like, I I often when I speak to writers there's often this figures in their life that sort of act I think of them as like almost like I want to say like permission Uh, I think of them as like being permission um, writers like that they realize you're allowed to write about these kind of things you know like that maybe they didn't realize that stories were allowed to be that kind of thing before and then suddenly they go oh you're allowed you we're I'm allowed to write about this and I, I I'm just wondering it I, I sort of got the sense that you until that point you maybe hadn't realized or, or maybe it just brought home to you that you were allowed like that your feelings and your life were like legitimate material yeah and that was something I'd never encountered and although like I, I went to a girls school and I suppose back then the syllabus that we had at least was the girls would do Jane Austen and and the Brontes and the boys would do like uh, Lord of the Flies and that kind of thing you know like there was a real division and it was that was the way it was and it wasn't even that long ago Um, and I kind of hope that's not the case at secondary level anymore but it was then and so I loved those books also and I very much had this big moment of being into Regency romances as well um, and reading George Ayers and or Jane Austen and, and all of that um, but it always felt on 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 the one hand it really did speak to me because that sort of social uh, world that they set up even though it was like you know Regency England it was very familiar to me from my upbringing it was very it was very polite. It was very social circles. It was very much about who knew who and um, about, uh, yeah, like I'd say middle class Pakistani society is not at all different to Regency Jane Austen society where everybody basically is looking at who can marry who. And that's basically the background to growing up and is essentially the background to my memoir, How We Met, as well as that kind of that was the world that I was brought up in. So oddly, those books actually reflected an awful lot of my experience. And I could see a lot of of myself in these books that had no, you know, like written by by white women from the past actually spoke a lot to me when I was growing up. But there was always, I suppose, there's a formality in that writing. There's a formality of the time. There's an elegance. There were, you know, these were stories. They were plots. They weren't necessarily outpourings of grief and outpourings of love in the kind of contemporary way um purely from language as well I suppose and so yeah reading things like Sylvia Path I remember it just felt very modern even though it it wasn't and I think I'd been very I'd I'd read a lot of the classics quite early on because my father was a very big reader and he massively encouraged that side of my reading um and I don't I, I think it was just the first time that I felt like this was something that was more for me, um, even though it still wasn't in terms of where, it, you know, how long ago it had been written. But I had that 
feeling exactly what you're talking about that feeling of permission I had that epiphany later as well in my 20s my early 20s when I read The Namesake for the first time uh, The Namesake by Jhumpa Lahiri um, and that was another and a much more sort of serious turning point because by that point I was much clearer in my writing ambitions even if only to myself even if it wasn't something I would have dared to admit to but I did I had this longing to write stories um and I read Jhumpa Lahiri and again there was a world that was so familiar to me because even though she wasn't she's of a different nationality different background I think American Bengali background was what she was writing about the similarities with the British Pakistani background were it was the first time first time I ever 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 read about someone wearing you know someone's mother wearing uh, clothes that were familiar to me or the description of food that was familiar just simply more than that beyond that the kind of expectations and the family expectations that were both something that you wanted to live up to and something that you wanted to honour but also struggled with at the same time and that book captured everything for me um, and I read it at a very um, a very sad point in my life really I was in my early 20s and my father passed away and obviously I, I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't read the namesake but there's a big moment of a, a loss of a parent and even though the protagonist in the namesake was a young man um, at a similar age I think you follow him growing up and he's in his 20s even though he was you know he was a, a male um, I still I just I devoured that book I've read it I must have read it a thousand times it never gets old for me and I know Jhumpa Lahiri has moved on from that in terms of what she writes about and how she writes it's become very much more exploratory for her in terms of language and and she's no longer restricted I suppose by writing about her background which I think again is another sense of permission because it's like well you don't you don't always have to stay in that world and I've then I, I, I think I go through these moments where like if a book speaks to me on that level in, in such a kind of almost unsettling gets under your skin kind of way I become hooked on that author and then I need to read absolutely everything and um, and so I then went and read her first collection of short stories and then her second collection of short stories and then the lowlands and then I you know I just followed her trajectory I got very interested in in learning about her career I'd read any article she'd written any short story that I could find of hers on the New Yorker and I she'd written this absolutely beautiful piece about her journey into becoming a writer into becoming a reader and um that was I think again in the New Yorker and I printed it out and it just spoke so much to me about permission like you say about I could write about the world that I grew up in and I don't have to have it pretend to be somebody else's world that's more familiar and 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 there is so much to explore in this and my feelings are valid in this world that I've grown up with and it's okay to not quite know what you're going to do next but you also I think as I've grown from that as well I also I kind of know for myself as well that I don't have to be restricted by writing about a background or a society that seems familiar to me anymore but equally it was really important to me that I started in that way um, as well 
So by way of background, um, for anyone who doesn't know, my first book was called In Spite of Oceans, and that came out in 2014. And that was very much about South Asian heritage and families. It was creative nonfiction. So it was based by I'd worked as a journalist before. And these um, stories were based on real people's lives um, and kind of like an inspired by real life story. But written in a in a way that read like fiction um, and I had permission from all these people to basically tell their stories um, and that I suppose was a very much sort of staying true to what I knew but also keeping myself apart from it because I still had a bit of a journalist hat on I hadn't fully crossed the line into writing books even if non-fiction um, so I still approached it I kind of reined myself in and I still made it about them not me and um, and I still very much stuck to that very sort of South Asian um, world that I could write about and bring to life. But I was ready to move on from that um, as well. And by the time I wrote my memoir, I couldn't not write about that because that's part of who I was and who I am. But by the time I then wrote my short stories, which was actually at the same time that I wrote How We Met, um, my short story collection, Things We Do Not Tell the People We Love, which came out in November, that felt like another step removed because even though my characters might have names that bear reference to a heritage, I felt like I'd crossed a line that I no longer had to define them by that. And it felt so liberating to see that I could just tell stories about the very first thing that captured me way back when I was that 13 year old sitting in the window seat and I could just write about feelings um, and that just felt like yeah it felt like a real growth for me to start writing with what I knew and then to push those boundaries and to not feel like I had to write within the boundaries that other people expected of me um, so yeah that's been my my journey I guess. Can we since you've uh, brought it up I think it, we might as well just jump straight in and talk about how we met now i one thing i want to ask is how at what point did you realize that you were writing a a, a memoir did you sit down and did you think one day i'd really like to tell this story and i'd really like to write about my life or like or did it kind of creep up on you and you went oh i gosh i think i might be writing something or how did that how how did I just wonder because for some people it's like they very much is you know especially sometimes with when they've got a journalism background they think oh this is a story and what's my angle I'll make myself part of the story or sometimes people you know a bit like the kind of frog boiling a frog metaphor thing they just slowly work on something and one day they look around and go am I writing a memoir oh no <laughs> So how did that work for you? It's really interesting that you asked that because it, it, it's not straightforward, actually. I never, ever, ever, ever would have said, I, my big ambition is to write a book about me. <laughs> like the last thing I would ever want to write about. I am not by nature a very loud outgoing kind of person so you know people don't stop when I walk into a room people don't even notice I'm there so I'm, I'm quite shy and I definitely don't go around telling people private things so I don't really know how I ended up putting it all in the book um but the answer is a little bit different because um 
And I suppose it is quite interesting because it just shows another way that these things happen. Um, I had written an article that summer, an opinion piece for The Guardian about um, motherhood memoirs. And I wrote just a, a piece that appeared in the paper and I wrote about how um, in my early years of motherhood, I became, like I said, I'm quite an addictive readers if I if I read one thing that I love I will want to read all of it so I became addicted to reading about memoirs of motherhood I wasn't I'd gone through this kind of phase where I I didn't touch fiction for like two or three years all I wanted was real life and I wanted to know how I kind of wanted to explore both the beauty of it in other people's words but also see how they got through the difficult moments of motherhood I have three little boys who are all very quite close in age uh, at one point I had three children under the age of four to put it in context so they're quite small and it was quite an intense period in my life and I you know I wanted that um, but I also had this very naive expectation that I would just carry on writing I'd carry on and I, that kind of hit me for six I didn't realize that actually that wasn't going to happen and so I turned to reading other writers about their experiences of motherhood. I wanted to see what it shaped, did to them, to their writing and to their dreams and how it shaped them and how they took those moments and the hard bits and the joyful bits. And I was just, I just wanted to, I, I guess it was my form of escape, even though I wasn't really escaping because I, I just wanted to devour everything on motherhood that I could. Um, and so I wrote this piece for the, for the Guardian that was appreciative of the generosity. It was the first time I think that it really hit me how um, vulnerable it is to share your life in a book and I wrote about that I wrote about how how I found the form so generous but there was a but and the but was but how come I've never seen a memoir by someone but where are all the you know South Asian black brown women writing their memoirs why aren't we getting published why is it that I'm finding my experiences but I'm you know that would add another layer to it and I just it was a curious question it wasn't a critical question it was a curious one and I was asking the question where are they um and off the back of that article I got lots of people emailing me and one of those people was an editor who was putting together an anthology of essays on motherhood and said would you like to contribute I said yes I had no intention of writing a book at that point. I was, I wanted to write a book, but at my, in my mind, it definitely wasn't going to be nonfiction. It was definitely not going to be about me. I wanted to write fiction. That had been my long-term dream was to, to write fiction. It was what I'd sort of secretly hid behind journalism to do. I, you know, I was taking creative writing classes in the evening after I'd finish it at work at the newspaper and things like that but I'd never tell anyone about it it was all secretive um and anyway so I wrote the essay and from the essay came another email and more conversations and they're like you know we really like what you have to say um have you got any more um and it kind of spiraled from that so in a way it's not the tale of be having a burning story to tell it was more of a slow process like that. And I suppose it was more, it was almost a backwards writing because they were, they'd seen what I'd written in my essay about motherhood. I had written about, um, I'd written about food actually and heritage and 
trying to introduce my mixed race children, my husband is white, trying to introduce my mixed race children to my memories of my Pakistani childhood and culture through food. But the problem was my kids are, like most kids, very, very fussy eaters. So I felt Mm. like this massive failure because they wouldn't want to eat the food that I'd grown up eating. Um, And so that, yeah, that was basically what led to how we met. I had an editor who was interested um, and I'd written an essay. I I wrote her another essay um, and that was essentially a very, very, very short beginning of how I met my husband. Um, but I had, I was quite restrained in that essay and I guess my editor could see it. And she said, I think this is a story, but I think I need, I need you to go, go deeper. Can you do it? Um, kind of thing. And I sort of sat on it and I thought about it and I had this amazing opportunity to, to write a book if I was able to pull it off. And I don't want to make it sound like it was just this this very easy thing that happened. it fell into my lap. I, I worked hard for it. I'd spent I'd spent a lot of time whilst raising my kids wondering how I was going to cross over into writing books, trying to figure out whether I still wanted to do journalism and constantly battling with myself on writing and, and whether I'd ever write again. You know, it would get me very down when I would think of the prospect that I wouldn't. And so I wanted to make this work. I had this essay that I'd written uh, like earlier, it, before she'd asked for it, I'd, I'd sort of written this thing. And I suppose I had written it for myself, but I sent it to her and she saw what the story could be, I suppose. And then I went off and and I wrote it. And it's, it, it's more, more than that as well, though. It felt to me like this was the story that had been missing for me when I was growing up because again I'd written I'd read um I remember reading The Boy with a Top Knot by Satnam Sanghera and it was the first time I'd read a memoir by someone who was South Asian not not of my background he's I think Indian my parents Pakistani um but the similarities were there and he wrote about the expectation of marriage from what I remember it was a very long time ago that I read it but I remember feeling showing it to my mum and saying because he writes a letter to his mother in that and I, I think explaining that he he didn't want to have an arranged marriage or something like that um and I remember sharing the book with my mum and I remember it being like this lightning bolt moment that oh my god like I've never heard anyone write so honestly about these things but of course I could never do that because you know as a girl and and there were lines that you just don't talk about those kind of things and yet if only that book had existed for me I think it would have changed a lot in terms of permission like you said before um and so I don't what I guess I'm trying to say is it wasn't just a kind of oh well I guess I'll write the story it was because I've got an editor interested it was actually this real kind of moment of I remember trembling and thinking this actually really does matter it really really does matter and uh that's how I began writing it I kind of wrote it for myself in that way can you, can you talk a bit talk about because when, when an editor says, says I think there's something, something here, here uh, uh it must it have must have I, I imagine, I imagine and, you know you know, tell, 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 you know this I'm phrasing this as a question I might be wrong but I imagine it's a sort of mixed, mixed blessing, blessing because, because on one hand they're saying 
I'm interested in this, but I want you to do more. On the other, you talked about vulnerability and how generous it is when someone that. But I remember a poet friend of mine was talking about his feeling about doing performance poetry was when it like goes well. It feels, it feels like the feels most like generous, generous thing in the world. You know, you're you telling know, people about these about things, things, you're giving them, giving them stories, stories and jokes and ideas and they're all carried along carried with you. And it's just like this. It's like you're with like a wonderful friend, friend who's telling this anecdote and really bring it, bring it people along. And when it doesn't, when it go, doesn't well, go well, it feels, it feels like the like most like selfish, selfish thing in the world because you've just kind of feel like you've cornered these people and you're telling them this unsolicited stuff and they don't really want to hear it. And so there's always that like high wire act where if it goes well, it feels generous and it goes up. Well, well, it feels like it feels all those like things that we fear about memoir, memoir that yeah. I'm being self-indulgent. self-indulgent. How dare yeah. I be yeah. such an egotist? And, and, and exactly. you know, this yeah. editor saying I need to go, you know, I think there's more here. I need to go deeper. But you're the one who has to go deeper. And there's all these things you haven't talked about, and maybe you haven't always heard people talk about. You talked about lines that you don't cross and things that you don't talk about. So what was that experience like for you? Like of going, going I've, been I've been asked to do this, to do this. someone's encouraging, encouraging me to do this, to do this. Oh, now oh now I'm sat I'm in front, front of, of the laptop, the laptop and I've got, yeah. to, got to, actually to actually do it, do it. Yeah. How, how was that, was that? did it feel like did a relief, relief? Was, it was it scary, scary? How, how, what was what the experience, was the experience like? like I think if I allowed myself to think about it too much I felt very it felt very indulgent in a way that didn't feel natural to me the concept of writing about your life. I mean, it is, it does feel like, well, who do you think you are kind of thing. But the way for me to write it was, it, I, it was the only thing I could write. It felt like that. It felt, and, and I don't mean that, again, I mean that in a really kind of positive way, that it was the more I sat with it and the more I thought about it and the more I realised that the essay that I'd written was already about how I met Richard my husband and the things that like we just don't talk about anymore within my family like the more I sat with it the more I realized how important it was to set it down in paper and it began to carry so much weight for me that um, I really didn't think about my editor then so basically we had that one conversation Mm -hmm. and I went away and I said, OK, I'll see, I'll see. It wasn't like I had a book deal straight off. It was more a case of uh, if you, if this is what you want to write about, have a go, come back to me and we'll talk kind of thing. So it wasn't a promise set in stone. But on the one hand, it was an opportunity that I'd been waiting for and working hard for, um, perhaps subconsciously writing that opinion piece for The Guardian. Maybe it was a way to see who would, who would bite and, and someone bit quite a few people bit actually but she um you know she we I'd already written that first essay and and things had progressed um but I kind of let go of all that I let go of thinking about the expectation of being published because I think if I'd written with that in mind even though yes I'd had an opportunity to come uh, come up if I had kept that constantly at the fore of my mind whilst I was writing I don't think I'd ever written the story the way it was I don't think it would have been as honest or as simple and it was very deliberate to me that it be simple and true because it that was the only way I knew I could write it was to be cliched as it sounds but from my heart and in my voice not in the voice of someone expecting to be published if I wrote a really really good book because 
not an awful lot happens in my book. The plot is quiet. It is ordinary. And I address that in the beginning. I say that I, you know, I try to convince myself that there's nothing extraordinary about my story. Women of my background marry in quotation marks out of their background all the time it's not unusual I can't pretend to be the first woman that's done it I can't pretend to be oh look at me haven't I broken boundaries no I haven't at all a thousand women broke boundaries before me but this was my story and it was about me and my family and on that tiny scale it was a huge 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 moment for me to go to my family and tell them that I had met an English guy that I was in love with and I wanted to marry him. I didn't want to marry the Pakistani dentist that my mum was trying to set me up with. Not that I have anything against Pakistani dentists at all anyway, but it was a massive moment for me. And I think what uh, what I wanted to explore was the fact that we underestimate all these things and we tell ourselves they don't matter. You know, now I could say, oh, well, it doesn't matter. why does it matter? Like, I've been married for 10 years. My family adores him. We've gone through everything. But it still, at the time, was a huge, huge, huge turning point. The biggest thing that had ever happened to me in my life. Um, to be the youngest in my family, to have lost my father, to have two older brothers, to go home to my quite liberal but still traditional parents my mother who expected me to marry any number of the young men that were sort of you know put in front of me um it was a huge deal for me and we don't talk about those and by we I mean my kind of the world that I'd grown up in I wouldn't we wouldn't talk about this even with the the girls I'd grown up with it, where there was a sort of sense of propriety that you just could not let slip and you did what your parents told you and you had expectations and you all became doctors and you all studied sensible things you didn't just sort of run off and go to Paris and suddenly decide dream of being a writer like which is what I did but you kind of it mattered to me to set that story down because I had no one to share those stories with. I had no one that felt like the big sister that I needed. Well, actually, I did have one person and I, I, wrote, about, I wrote about her in the memoir. Um, but I think that sense of honesty, it felt like it was time now to address all of that. And it felt so important to me. And obviously, yeah, I wrote it in December. I started writing December 2019. And, you know, my children were uh, I think an awful lot about what I would want them to know as they grew up um, you know my family is quite religious and does have there were a lot of expectations on me as I was growing up and I don't say that critically at all I uh, it's just that's the way it was I love my family dearly but I know that when my children reach a certain point they will have questions and and they already do and that was what spurred the book on um the, the the actual opening of the book is my then six-year-old asking me how I met his dad because they'd been talking about those things at school and he didn't know um and my answer was that well there's the answer that my mum told everyone which was that we met in the mosque <laughs> which I met my my white boyfriend in the mosque which is which was not true but that was the that was the um 
the the acceptable answer to tell everybody else, which was to show that he had, you know, he had already had an interest in Islam and he was already going to convert to Islam and it had nothing to do with me and we weren't dating and we weren't seeing each other. That was the acceptable answer to give. But I didn't want to give the acceptable answer to my kids. I want them to know the truth. I want them to know what it was like to make a choice because I want them to know in time that they can make a choice. Um, and so, yeah, I, I tell all of that to basically explain that um, it was one thing to have an editor who was interested in my story, but it was quite another to explore that in myself. Um, and I think I always knew, I think I always knew at some point that this would be something I would one day write about, but I didn't expect necessarily for it to be in a in a book form Um but I'm glad that it is. I'm glad that I got to tell it on my terms. And and yeah, I'm very, very, it means an awful lot to me to have put that story down. So I, I was going to ask, ask, because you because you, you, you write you about write some, about some uh, I mean, this is an understatement, understatement but, but really, but really difficult, difficult, you know, the hardest things that human beings go through, you know, like, you know, like, like grief, grief. and uh, Loss, loss up against, up against you, know, you know the really, the really some of the best, the things, best things that humans go through you know like you know, falling like in love and, and yeah. having a family and I suppose the question I want to ask and this maybe I don't want to sound like I'm trivializing it but did you find that process of writing these things down therapeutic because when you some sometimes we go through things in life and 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 and, and, and we think i can't understand how this can ever be okay or this could ever have meaning or this can ever feel not just like the end of the world um and the idea of you know turning around to someone and going you know you could you could write about this one day like seem would be you know terribly crass and yet you know writers we do feel compelled to write about these things and i just wondered if you feel comfortable talking about it how whether you found that useful or changed your perspective in any way and 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 what and how you found the process of writing about the kind of the very kind of like peaks of human experience and 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 some of the very most challenging things as well yeah i well i had written about um my father my father passed away after um being in very fine health like there was nothing ever wrong um but he had out of the blue had um a series of quite devastating strokes that essentially wiped his body out um and he lived for about 18 months in a hospital. He never actually came home, but he was wheelchair bound, half paralyzed, lost his speech, and he could only write to us in notes. Now that to me is, yeah, like you say, it's the most difficult thing that I had ever had to face. I was 23, I think, um, and yeah completely out of the blue you know you, you you never hear your father's voice again that I really st- struggled with I don't even know how to put into words that um that period of life for us um and I had written about him for the Guardian um a few years after 
he had died. So some time had already passed. But I felt, I remember writing it thinking I could never write, I I don't want to write about this again. Um, I can't quite remember why I wrote the article. It was for the family section. It was the cover story of the family section. It wasn't a case of me using my life for the byline. It was actually in relation to um, a, a man who had been in the news a lot. And I forget his name now. His name was Tony Nicholson, I believe. He was locked in in the same way that my father was. And I think he was, it, there were some legal issues about his right to 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 die. Um, and he had two daughters. And it was the first time in my life that I'd ever come across the fact that there was someone who had experienced what I had experienced and so this article was actually not just about me and my father it was more journalistic it was more about them and their father and I just brought a personal edge to it and I remember distinctly writing that article thinking I could never write it but I could never do this so publicly again this is and I felt it almost a betrayal I felt really I had you know I'd had my my mum was totally fine with me writing about she's very used to me writing first person pieces anyway but you know there are some things that belonged to me and there were some things that belonged to him and it really mattered to me that his memory wasn't painted as that he was many 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 more things before that last year last two years of his life um so I didn't touch it again for a very very long time um and when I was writing How We Met, I knew in the writing of it that I would need to confront those moments of it. But I write I write about my father in different ways in the book because um, I write about him much before that period of our life. And I write about sort of him out of that context. It's just as my dad, I write about him as my dad. I write about us on holiday in Italy and having an argument about... Um, me wanting to go to Paris to do my master's and stuff like that and um but of course it was all leading to this turning point and I I don't which was the turning point of losing him and I don't I don't know if I saw it as therapeutic because it was definitely a different and much calmer experience to write about loss many years after it had happened whereas the first time when I wrote that newspaper piece when I felt I felt really cut up about that piece because I remember it felt really important to write because I knew that the Nicholson family for instance wanted that that story out there but it I felt it was very close to it must have only been like a matter of maybe a year maybe less than that after my father had died that I wrote that piece and I think with hindsight that was probably too soon for me and I was I was young and you know uh yes I and I remember that feeling a lot that was very raw for me to put into words because and again you know I was a very private person a lot of my colleagues didn't even know that I'd you know lost my father and there I was putting it in the newspaper and suddenly people people who I worked with knew something about me in a personal way where I definitely was not that person at work I did not talk about anything that was going on in my personal life I was quite shy actually I wasn't a good journalist because I was shy I think actually I was very reticent very nervous (laughs) and most of the time I spent my time at the Guardian thinking I didn't belong there so I you know I didn't want people to know that stuff about me and then I I wrote about it and I, I kind of felt weird I felt weird afterwards I felt like you know I I wanted to ask him I wanted to say sorry to my dad that I'd I'd written about him um 
but I didn't feel that with how we met because I I wrote about him in his fullest form I wrote about memories with great fondness and love and it put a smile on my face and when I did throughout the writing of it there was a section so the book for anyone who hasn't read it is written in in sections of these days and those days I didn't want to write a chronological kind of memoir I wanted to do something a bit playful and also it was the most natural way for me to write it so I start in the present and I go back to the past and it's these days and those days and these days and those days and in those days a lot of the mem a lot of what I write about is quite um you know, it's like teenage, the stuff of teenage growing up and kind of starting to set your boundaries and, and, and a lot of comedy moments as well, I think. Um, and there was a section that I knew I was approaching in those days, which was going to be the section that my father passed away, because that was a real turning point, because that was when, in context of the subject matter of the book, being kind of about growing up in love and, and marriage, my father's... Um, it was sort of falling ill suddenly became this um what's the word like it 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 put pressure on my mum I think to want her to see me be settled so suddenly though my father was in hospital my mum was very much you you need to you need to get settled you need to get married now because because we don't know what's going to happen in the future and I need to know that you're going to be okay um so so there was suddenly all this pressure whilst my father was in hospital that actually now I had to very seriously think about marriage proposals from sort of arranged marriage suitors and it was all like this bomb that dropped out of nowhere like I had no expectation that that was going to happen at that point I'd always expected it would be much later for me um and so that was obviously something that was relevant to the book uh, because my father's illness kind of was a catalyst for those conversations with my mum. And I'd left that section for a long time in the writing of it because I knew I would have to write about the moment that I lost him, that we lost him. And I kind of got this big note on my draft that was like, um, I'm going to come back. This is unfinished. I'm going to rewrite this bit. It's not it's not ready yet and I wrote that section last and there's a moment that I write about sort of how in in just just like that in this in the second in in the hospital room like one minute he's breathing and one minute he's not um and I then move into the present and I write about how in these days that I when my youngest was was a toddler and we'd had a bedtime routine and we'd go and stand at the window and say good night to the moon and how I would often look out my standing there saying goodnight to the moon and I would wonder if my dad was out there and I'd wonder if he could see me, if he'd recognise me. And all of that was the very last thing that I wrote, well, that and the ending. Um, and I kind of left its placeholder as a big gap, knowing that once the rest of the story was down, I would need to go back to that and go deep, I suppose. Um but it didn't feel traumatic to write about it now. And it didn't feel therapeutic in a kind of, oh, gosh, don't I feel lighter for it way. It didn't feel like that. It felt it felt oddly calming. And it felt beautiful to be able to look back on it, really. You know, and it felt it didn't feel as I was writing it, it didn't feel like this hugely traumatic experience that I had to relive again it felt 
like I could look back at it because so much time has passed between then and now. Um, and I always lose count of how many years it's been, but I think it's something like 15 years now, I think, um, or maybe less than that. Uh, I, and that's something I write about in the book as well, that my mind plays tricks on me when it comes to remembering the facts of my father's passing away, because I don't I don't remember the exact year. I never do. I have to sit down and physically calculate it and work out, well, how old was I then? And, and now I'm 40, so I must have been this age, and so it happened in 20-whatever. Like, I can't work it out. Um, and I think the writing of it, I think, just went to prove to me that it's so much more than the facts and the figures and the dates. It, it really was just about exploring those feelings. And the fact that I had, I suppose, about 10 years, 11, 12 years time between the act of it happening and the act of sitting down to write about it, it did. It felt, um, I know it's a weird thing to say about death, but it felt calming. And I think the thing that struck me the most was that I could write about sadness in a way that was so simple and just say it as it was. And and that was, I think, what people found moving. I think there's a line that I write about how sometimes it hits me and it's it and it feels like this huge crescendo, but other times it just sits with me and it's more it's more gentle now and it's quite simple. It's a quite a simple sadness for me, which is just which is missing. It's you miss someone and I miss him and that that seemed so I don't know, it felt almost enlightening to write it down and to be able to say that it had gone from being something so complex and devastating and intense and haunting and the constant pits that feeling in my stomach every day go back to work and expect to just carry on like normal and and that dread I just feel that dread but to know that that has passed into something softer felt quite um almost empowering to be able to to write it down it doesn't mean that the loss is any less substantial but to be able to say that I have lived with this now and I have made my peace with that loss and it will always be there but it's more like a summer breeze rather than a hurricane um sorry I am waffling an awful lot you know what I was going, I'm going to say this now. Every time people give a brilliant answer, like it is like clockwork. It's so reliable that whenever someone gives a thoughtful and moving answer, every single time, I don't know what it is about human beings or maybe just writers. They always end with, sorry, I was waffling there. Every time, every time they give a from the heart, like considered nuanced answer. Always an apology at the end. Like, sorry, it wasn't slicker. Sorry, sorry, I can't, you know, I can't when I'm, that was, that was, don't be silly. That was, I was, that was brilliant. So, so do you think, it sounds like um, in putting, but in leaving it to last, one of the things it allowed you to do was put it into, was to place that, that one experience in a much, much larger context where there were things that happened before lots of happy memories lots of real joy and there were things that happened afterwards that were you know there you know obviously parenthood and 
uh, marriage ha- has ha- have their stressful moments and difficulties as well, but also things that they're definitely very meaningful things as well. And that there was and that were there were memories that carried on, and part of that was his legacy. You know, part of that was you know his story continuing. Yeah, no, that's a lovely way of putting it. But yeah, absolutely. And um, I think, I mean, ultimately, to me, the story it is one about joy. And I suppose the joy is in also in living through it, right? And like to know that you you survived the single most horrible thing that could happen to you at an age at which you just do not expect it to happen, I suppose. I mean, I know it does happen, but you know, I didn't know anyone. I still don't, I still don't know anyone in my um, sort of friends and peers that has has been as you know very lucky they're very lucky that both their parents are still alive and um yeah and and I've, I've lived through it now I don't know what that means other than I take something from that um I don't know it's not relief but it's it it would have been I don't know I don't know what I'm trying to say but I think the act of writing about it yeah gave me a sort of calmness and I think what it did give me as well was and I think for me it was very important that this book could only have been written with a 10-year perspective um because yeah it'd been 10 years since we'd I'd met my husband and I don't think I could have written the story of how we met if we'd met like two years ago uh, or I'd written it eight years ago because there was so much growth that I needed to do to in order to be able to see things more kindly and to to you know to feel an understanding for my parents um sort of structures of of belief in a way that perhaps if I'd written it as a hot-headed 20 something year old I would never have had that compassion um towards them and I and I deeply do and I and I wanted to to show that this wasn't about me slating arranged marriage or you know my parents heritage or the heritage that I'd inherited or anything like that it wasn't that it was a way to show love for it and for them but also make my own choices um in a way that yeah I suppose was very unlike me um in terms of kind of going in and sort of making noise and saying something mattered to me I'd never really done that before which was why which was why it mattered to write about it I think can I I want to ask some when you when you wrote your first sort of creative non-fiction stories where you you got permission from the people you were writing about but you kind of transformed them into telling them as stories um, that was one thing where you got individual people's permission. But obviously with fiction, we can just kind of, we can kind of, I know it's an oversimplification, but we can write about what we like. You know, obviously if we're representing parts of real life, we know we've got a responsibility and that people will probably call us out if we make mistakes or they feel we've misrepresented those things, but we, we, we've got a bit more latitude. But, you know, you, in How We Met, you are writing sort of intimate things about your life but it involves some people who 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 are still about who also you've got to 
you've got to live with and see every day, right? And I suppose like one thing that a lot of people are going to, you know, that be people listening might think about their own lives and, you know, wanting to write about stuff that's important to them is what responsibility do I have to the people around me? You know, because I'm I'm being the spokesperson kind of for all of us. And how did you do, how did you do that? Because you're the story that you wanted to tell is intimately bound up in other people's experiences as well. Yes, it is. Um, the first thing that I I get asked this a lot, I think generally because in I don't want to make a sweeping statement here, but in the uh, culture that I was grown up in, uh, there was very much um, a sort of veneer of what you do and don't say and, and propriety, like I'd said. Um, uh, and you wouldn't give things to people to gossip about, put it that way. And people did gossip and aunties gossiped and there's lots and lots of gossip. So, um, and uh, so when I wrote the book, I forgot about, all of those people I was not I didn't I don't particularly care and I say this with great fondness for the aunties that that I you know it's kind of raised me in that social circle um but I don't really care what they think about the book and I don't I care if they're scandalized by the fact that I didn't meet Richard in a mosque because, because I didn't I met him on a blind date off the internet but you know like um I, I don't I'd gone so past worrying what other people in that respect thought and that's a big thing in in South Asian culture is it's a line that people say what will people think and I imagine it's a line in lots of cultures but it's just very prevalent you you just need to say it like sometimes people uh like in my sort of like peers or like on social media or whatever someone just needs to say that line what will people think in Urdu and everyone knows what that means everyone knows the tone of voice that's delivered in everyone's heard it a thousand times from their parents but I didn't think about the wider um context like that at all because I think if I did I I just didn't I was past caring in that respect however um this isn't a book that's slating the the cultural background that I grew up in at all and I have a great deal of love and fondness for all of its quirks um and the people that it mattered to me most was my family um the at the same time though I didn't I didn't seek permission because I think as a writer, that's that's not on you to do. You can write about what you want to write about. But I, it mattered to me that I wrote this with a great deal of care and love for those people, that I could still be true about how I felt and how they felt and about the difficulties that we've had, but still also show love and tenderness for them. There was no one that was going to be the big bad character that stopped me from marrying my husband or anything like there was no cliche here there was no stereotype I definitely didn't want to play into that um and I I spoke to my mum she knew that I was writing a book and I think she was very nervous about it so I told her look I'm I'm writing something and it's about how I met Richard and it's about how in the beginning you want to keen on it (laughs) Um, and she was nervous she was nervous I think because she was nervous of what I would say, of how other people that we knew, say, in her sort of world would take it. But um, she was so nervous that she sort of took it 
but never asked me anything about it did not want to know but just wouldn't I should get very kind of sort of no I don't I don't want to know I just I don't want to know it <laughs> um and then she got sent my proofs by my publishers without me knowing <laughs> but I'm really glad that they did they were meant to like I'd given her I'd given them her address I just didn't know the exact day it was going to go so I had no idea to anticipate it and and I got this amazing beautiful whatsapp message completely out of the blue because I had no idea she'd even got the manuscript um and she said how much it had made her laugh and how much it had made her cry and how beautiful it was and how it brought so much back to life for her oh what a mum what a great mum. Well done, mum. That's a good, what a lovely thing to say. Yeah, and then she said that she was sorry. She said that she didn't realise how much I had felt alone um, when all the marriage stuff and my dad being ill stuff was going on. She said, I, I didn't realise how much you were going through. Um, and I'm sorry that I wasn't there for you. And I'm sorry that you felt that you couldn't talk to me. But I'm so happy that you got what what you wanted and what you chose and you chose right and and so that was really really meaningful to me and to be honest that was the only perspective that really mattered and my husband obviously he knew that I was writing the book but he was a hundred percent encouraging from the start he didn't mind how much he was in it or or how you know and to be honest even though the story is called how we met he doesn't feature in it a huge amount. He's not as big a character, I think, as my mother is. And there is this difficult, there are difficult scenes with my mother that I write about conversations that we had. But I think the perspective of going from the kind of technical perspective of having a past narrative and a present narrative enabled me to write about the difficult confrontation in the past, but then see it with the perspective and understanding of the present now having grown up and now having children of my own and being able to see the good intentions rather than the criticisms. Um, and I think that's quite interesting stylistically because it enabled me to soften the blow because I didn't want to paint my mum in this like horrible cast character because she's not at all and, and she isn't in the book, but there is this turning point of kind of where we come to heads. Um, and I felt like if I hadn't got the perspectives changed, then that would mean she would have stayed like that in the book. She would have been in the past as that person. And I'm really glad that I was able to show that that she wasn't. And, and even if she was, it was only me who saw that because I was the one on the receiving end of it. And that was my interpretation. So it was very important to me to make it clear at the beginning of the book that this is just my version of events. It's not fact at all. It's somebody else in this book will have remembered it completely different to to me um so yeah I took care to to show that to show that I, and I wanted to do that though I wanted to show that how you can love someone but also have issues with certain things I felt like that was honest and and you know I didn't want to write this overly glowy rosy book because that wouldn't have been true that wasn't what happened um and it was all about honesty. It was all about writing that honest account of how I met Richard and also everything that led up to it and everything that came afterwards. So, so yeah, I uh, I didn't overthink the wider context. I kept it smaller, that kind of, I, and I didn't want to, it really mattered to me being of, you know, a so-called minority background, et cetera. It really did feel important to me to not shove them all under a bus you know that's my background is my 
my family but beyond that I didn't want people to pick up the book and say oh gosh aren't Pakistani South Asian families Western families aren't they terrible I was not gonna do that because that is not the point I'm making in the book it's got nothing to do about that it's all about me really and so I wanted to be able to show a compassion for the fact that okay fine some people have um because I write about a lot of the (laughs) there's a section in the book where I write about the the guys that I was introduced to with the view to marriage in the kind of traditional arranged context and I um or a modern version of that anyway because we'd all you know we'd meet up on our own and things like that um and what I was very important to me was to not rubbish the whole practice of the fact that some people do meet their partners in that way they are introduced by their parents in their front rooms that's totally fine I totally respect that and I did not want to belittle any of that but what I wanted to show was that it just wasn't for me and it wasn't working for me Um, and so by placing the whole story and making it very clear that this is not about a whole minority group just because I happen to be of that background um, and just keeping the focus so small and so sharp on just me basically I shoulder the blame for all of it <laughs> and, um, so yeah it, it was really important to me to be able to do that in a balanced and nuanced way and to avoid stereotype being read as a stereotype. Do you do you, do you... Do you feel that's an extra pressure that you're under as a writer? Because if I write memoir, no one picks it up and reads it as like Tim Clare representing all all white male Britain. Like like no no one picks it up and would read my memoir and go, now I know the entire of white British male culture because I've read this one story and this is like the lens and now I can now I can now I can at a dinner party like confidently talk about it to my friends and go did you know because I've read this one book did, like because it you know did, 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 does that does that feel like a a pressure that an extra pressure that you're under as a a writer because I never have to think about that because it would be because anyone doing that would look would recognize that it was a ludicrous thing I felt it with how we met. I felt did not feel it with my fiction, with my short stories, things we do not tell the people we love. I kind of felt like I'd moved on from that. And like I've, um, but I did feel it with how we met. It, because there's moments where I write about sort of religion and, and things that didn't make sense to me or don't make sense to me, but that I still try to understand. And I didn't want to be seen on either side to have been sort of selling out or being overly critical or playing into stereotypes or doing it deliberately just to get published. Um, And I was worried that when the book, before the book came out, I was worried that readers who shared my background would think that I had written a white saviour story. And it was really important to me that I didn't write that story because it wasn't the story anyway, but I wasn't going to twist it to fit that narrative um and I address that in the book as well and it's interesting because on social media some of the early reviews that came from the big bookstagram accounts of um you know by women women of color etc they did all say uh, actually how they had originally been skeptical before reading the book because when you hear that story 
typically that story and I'm thinking of shows that would there was a show on Apple TV do you remember it was about Muslim girl and she has her white boyfriend and it's a very typical story and it always reflects badly on the minority culture and it's it's never kindly done and it is stereotypical and it doesn't help anyone it's not adding any richness or value to the universality of stories or or the depth of emotion or any of that it's just a tick box exercise and I was so sort of just elated when people didn't let their skepticism color their reading of the book like they still read the book and they and it was a triumph for them and I and I loved that we were it felt like a very collaborative thing that we were able to celebrate the fact that a story like this exists and it wasn't about stereotyping my Asian family as the bad guys and I never speak to them again and they disowned me and none of that happens <laughs> and, and I just wanted to show it how it is that that isn't exceptional either that's how most of us live day to day but it's not the story that that you hear um so yeah I did feel that with the book it also re- I was so lucky that from the outset my editor my publishers were super on board with me telling my story on my terms at no point was anything ever sensationalized um to fulfill that kind of expectation because I think there is so much cynicism uh, rightly about the fact that you will only get published if you write what certain publishers want to hear right which is a story that kind of feeds into in a kind of almost gross salacious way of horrible stereotypes and narratives the same old stories that we hear again and again and again but actually I didn't have that experience at all I had a brilliant publisher we talked a lot about the title and the cover and it really mattered to me that it didn't say British Muslim Pakistani anywhere on the cover or the title not because I'm not those things or that I'm ashamed of them I am definitely am not but because I knew that the minute that went on the cover the minute I was representing and speaking for an entire community and be read in that way and be put in that box by other so-called mainstream you know readers and whatnot and I would be put in a box and I didn't want to be put into a box. I just wanted to write a love story. And I didn't, yeah, I, I didn't want... In a, in a way that would just be, ne- that would never, ever be an issue or be an, even a consideration if, like, I was writing a love story. They, I'd never go, look, I just want, can we not put, you know, white British male on the front cover I don't want to foreground that aspect of my identity it would it would just never come up <laughs> they would go publishers go of course this is your story as a human that is absurd and I can only speak from my own experience in that um I remember with my first book in spite of Asians the cover was very <laughs> very kind of fusion I hated it but I didn't get involved with I didn't have a say no woman with a sari with her hair covered it's like I, I've never worn a sari in my life but okay fine and um, but it was the same thing with my short stories it was very clear that that had nothing to do with my fiction my characters the world they they might come from worlds that are familiar to me but it doesn't define them it's not their sole purpose in the book I'm not writing about culture conflict I'm so kind of past that and I'm I don't want to read that anymore I just want to write write and read stories that are emotion driven really um and the themes that I'm interested in which is 
love and loss and grief and sadness. I find them fascinating subjects to pull apart on the page, whether it's in, well, fiction or nonfiction. But I think in fiction, I I, I also feel freer and I, I love playing with the language. I love playing with form. I love playing with with description and all those like beautiful joyous moments of craft um as well but it mattered again that that book to me wasn't there's no trace of it showing any kind of hint of there are ethnic characters in this book I just wanted it to be seen as a literary collection of short stories in the same way that anyone else's collection of short stories would be seen um I didn't want immigrant stories on it I didn't want that kind of stuff um, but yeah, you're right. And I think so now that I've written How We Met, I feel like, I yeah, it comes back to what we talked about right at the beginning, that idea of permission. I, I gave myself permission to write that story. And I've written about the world that I knew and I've written about my background and because it mattered to the story, not because because I couldn't have written the story without it. Um, but now I feel like when I'm making my characters, like the novel I'm writing now, background is is in terms of nationality and religion and culture it feels a lot less important now for me and it feels more important to just be able to write these characters and have them so-called happen to share my background but without needing to define it because isn't that the level playing field that I just get to write about their messy lives and their crappy relationships and their arguments and their feelings and I don't have to put them in a box as well because because that is something that I can sometimes hold me back and I sometimes have to think twice because my character's going to go and pour herself a glass of wine that you know I don't drink but my character's quite possibly also a Muslim character she could be based by her name But is it okay for her to go and have her wine? And I'm saying, yeah, it is now because I just need them to be characters and I need to follow their their recklessness. And and I can't limit them by their religion because then I'm putting them in a box in the same way that a publisher might put them in a box. And I don't want to do that. I just want them to be brown girls having having stories to tell. Um, So that's what I'm trying to do now is try and kind of not limit myself. And, and, and can I? I know you can't talk very much about your, your your novel at the moment because it's a work in progress, and probably yes. it feels like terribly like if you're anything like me, you feel like the house isn't ready, you can't see this room, this you know, like <laughs> it, 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 it feels almost yeah. embarrassing, like how. Oh my god, it's so embarrassing. <laughs> because because you're like I thought I could write, but if anyone saw what my what my writing was like when I'm trying to do it they are they know I'm not really a writer but I'm the most reassuring thing when people say things like that very reassuring I love it when people tell me that good me too because I I just like there's a whole team that make my stuff readable and it's not just me and also it's not me first time either um how how are you finding uh how are you finding kind of like fiction at at the moment and I, this is going to sound I, this is this is how the, I, this is just a version of where do you get your ideas but like it's very clear where you get your, your where you get your how you decide to write about something where it's like your life but when have you got any sense of how you make that decision for like we talked about with the, the memoir like 
how you kind of ended up writing it and how it got got sort of like someone suggested it grew out of an article. And I don't think where do you get your ideas is actually a stupid question. I think it's just a cliched one. But um, did you know this was going to be a novel? Were you like, I need to write about these characters? Or was it a short story? Or did they start creeping around in your head? Was it what I'm asking again is like, is this something that slowly crept up on you? Or were you like, I want to write a longer piece? And now who can I put in it? How how did that happen for you? Um, so... <laughs> Short answer is that when I got my book deal for my short stories, it was a two book deal and a novel. <laughs> deal. So that's the short answer is I had no choice. Um, but no, but the but the kind of real honest kind of answer as well as that is that I have been dying to prove to myself that I can write this novel. Um, as a fiction reader, I've always naturally been gravitated towards short stories. I love the short story form. I love, love, love the magic of um, saying so much with so few words. So writing my short story collection was actually a very natural process to me. And I love kind of, I kind of write naturally in my fiction in a kind of vignette style, um, which is not dissimilar to how I wrote the memoir in the these days, those days. And, you know, there's no clear chapters. It's not like that. And I suppose I explore my fiction in the same way and I explore themes that come up in both. Um, but with my novel, so with the fiction, with the short stories, the characters uh, are very vivid to me. Like I kind of kind of see them and it it's very cinematic in a way, like it starts with a with an opening scene. And I can see that sometimes, which sounds a bit nuts, but it's true. Um, like I, it feels like I'm panning a, a, a landscape or a street or a pavement and then zooming in on this one person who's walking down the street and she tucks her hair behind her ear or something and there's a gesture and it it tells you something about that person that's the kind of stuff I just love I love planting those little clues and a tiny thing will come up again um so now I'm just trying to do it on a bigger scale and I am actually I I, I really enjoy the fact that I get to spend more time with these characters. They're not girls that have appeared in previous short stories. Um, and I tend to write stories that are almost always female characters in them. And they feel very much like my girls, <laughs> which like, like I think about the ones from the short story in a really kind of haunting way. They definitely haunt me. Um, and I'm, there's the short stories that they are much darker and there's something almost troubling about each one of the, the girls. And so I find myself sometimes wondering, like, are they OK? Like if I carried on writing, what would happen and would they be OK? And I like that open ending mysteriousness of a short story. And with the novel, I suppose my challenge is, is to maintain the meaningful moments and sustain that over a longer piece. Um, and plant those little clues and have them fit in the bigger picture. That's that's challenging, but I like the challenge and I'm really excited that I get to do it. Like, I can't believe that I get to do it. I was really excited actually when it was a two big deal because I was like, well, yes, that's it. That's my. I don't need an excuse. I can. I'm going to do this. And and I yeah, I, I'm 
exploring female relationships again. Um, in a hopefully one of the challenges I've set to myself is that it will be slightly more tender than the ones in the short stories because they are quite dark and a lot of people who've read the short stories like often have said that they just they needed to take a breath they just needed to take a moment between one story to the next because it was intense and I, and I don't know where that came from I think that just came from being lost in the writing and in the flow and and even when I would read it back I'd be like oh my god I've made such horribly sad things happen to people and, and that's awful but I, I want to see what it's almost like testing people and that it all comes back to that J.D. Salinger again like being that 13 year old how do you make people feel something about someone who doesn't exist and I think that's what I'm always questioning myself as well like how do I how do I make those connections and I I love that process I love making them real because they feel real to me like you cross the threshold. I cross the threshold in my in my head when I'm writing because I I have to feel like them. I have to almost become them in order to experience what they've experienced and make that emotion real on the page. So I love all that. I love 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 that fiction lets me do that. Lets me literally imagine somebody else's life. It's amazing. Thank you so much for chatting today. It's been really, really, really good to hear all of this and really, really insightful as well. Um, so if people um, want to, I'm going to obviously put links to uh, your books in the show notes of today's episode. So if people are listening and they want to grab them, um, they can uh, go there. Is there anyone where online if people want to uh, find your work or th where things are being released or things like that that they can go to? Uh, yeah, they can. I'm not very good on Twitter, um, but you can find me on Instagram. I'm Hema Qureshi Writer on Instagram. I just had to double check that that was actually my handle, but it is my handle. Um, so yeah, at Hema Qureshi Writer on Instagram, and um, I've got my websites linked on there as well. And cool. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you very, very much. Yeah, thank you. And um, everyone listening, uh, thanks very much for listening. And I hope you have a wonderful week of writing.